Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. We are in a series of messages. This is just part two, entitled The Blood of His Cross. The Blood of His Cross. Colossians 1 and verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. What the blood of Jesus did, it, it, it made peace between you and God, between man and God. So literally what the blood of Jesus does is it changes everything. Right? Now, when you look in your Bible, the first part is called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. <clears throat> the new part is called the New Testament or the New Covenant. The, it's Jesus' blood that brought in the new covenant. And when the new came, the old disappears. I was just talking very recently with a couple here in church, and they were dealing with someone who's a Christian, or say they are a Christian, but they believe that they need to obey the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets and all of the Old Testament laws. They're trying to obey those. But when Jesus came and shed his blood, everything changed. Right? Now, it says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that God was in Christ reconciling or restoring the world to himself. So what Jesus' blood does is it brings us back. He's restoring. He brings humanity back to the same place they were in the Garden of Eden before sin. Restoring the world to himself no longer, listen, no longer counting or holding men's sins against them. Now, all through the Old Testament, right, God is holding men's sins against them. Right? There are consequences to sin. But what Jesus' blood did is Jesus' blood brought forgiveness of sins. But it, it, the, the word forgiveness does not say everything that the blood does. The, the word should better be translation remission, or it remits sin. So what Jesus' blood does, it not only gives you forgiveness but it also takes away the penalty of sin. You catch that? The penalty of sin. Uh, see, a lot of people think God's mad at them. I did this and God's getting me. God's punishing me because I did this, right? But the blood of Jesus not only brought you forgiveness, but it also took away the penalty of the sin. So your sins are not just forgiven, they're remitted. It's as if it never even happened. Now, I have a friend who wanted to go hunting in Canada. And uh, he, he gets there in line and he's, he's going through customs and he gives them his passport. And, and they say, well, have, have you ever been arrested? And he said, I'm a pastor. He said, of course, I've never been arrested. But 40 years before, when he was 17, he and some kids got arrested and he got put in jail. And his dad, the pastor with four deacons, had to go and bail him out. Now, it got dismissed. 
It was dismissed. But when he's trying to get into Canada, it shows up. And he says, yeah, but it was, it was dismissed. And he says, that doesn't matter. He says, you need to get it expunged. You need to get it taken off your record, right? That's what remission does. Remission gets it taken off your record. And so he had to go back to his home state, hire a lawyer, and get it remitted so that he could get in to go hunt. Huh? Now, Jesus' blood forgives you, but it does more than that. It remits your sin. It's no longer there. It's expunged. And the penalty of your sin, Old Testament, God was angry. There was sin in between God and man. But what Jesus' blood did, it took your hand and put it in God's hand. And it produced peace, reconciliation, right standing. You are right with God because of the blood of his cross. God was in Christ restoring the world to himself no longer. Old Testament, yes, but today because of the blood. No longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but has blotted them out, remitted, expunged. It's as if you never, ever sin. Romans 3, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Other translations say a sacrifice, a mercy seat, an atonement seat through faith in his blood. Right? So you receive forgiveness. You receive remission. Your hand is put in God's hand through faith in his blood. Faith in his blood. Now, you can't have faith for something you don't know about because faith is dependent on knowledge. So you need to have accurate knowledge about the blood and application because the blood has to be applied. It has to be applied in heaven, but it also has to be applied on earth. So we have to have accurate knowledge and we have to have application. Limited knowledge produces limited results, right? A full knowledge produces full results. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Which he purchased with his own blood. Now, I can't go into all of it. You can, you can get more of this if you go back to last week's message. But Jesus' blood was the blood of God. That's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, right? without spot and without blemish. It was perfect blood. It was God's blood that purchased you and I. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to say this, moves where the blood of Jesus is applied. In fact, there's the Old Testament type of this. The priest is brought into the temple. And the Bible says that they took blood 
and they put blood on his big toe. Then they put blood on the thumb of his right hand, and they put blood on his right earlobe. And after they put blood, it says they took the anointing oil, which represents the Holy Spirit, and they put the anointing oil on top of the blood on his right toe, on top of the blood on his right thumb, and on top of the blood on his ear. So wherever you go, it's under the blood and you're anointed. Whatever you do, you're under the blood and you're anointed. And when you hear, you're under the blood and you're anointed, right? So for all of eternity, for all of it, it is the blood. Listen, the Bible says of the everlasting covenant, right? This is an eternal covenant. And so all for all of eternity, we are going to sing and celebrate the blood of Jesus. I think that's why the devil has gotten some churches to take songs about the blood out of their hymnals and out of their repertoire of songs that they'll sing because the power of the gospel is in the blood. It is the blood that will never, ever, ever lose its power. It is the blood of the everlasting, eternal covenant. You get to heaven. The Bible says, we're going to sing. You're worthy to take the stroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. By your blood. I won't say this. About 90% of the songs that, that come out today talk about God's love. And that's good. But it wasn't his love that redeemed you. It was his love that sent to have you redeemed, but you were redeemed by the blood. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no remission. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. Seeing we have a great high priest, that's Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, the one that's passed away, right? the, the Aaronic priests, the sons of Aaron, would go in and they would do the acts of worship, right? With the blood of goats and calves, right? But the Bible says we have a great high priest. This is Jesus. And he's not a priest like Aaron. The Bible says he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we don't have time to look into all of that, but listen. So then we have a great high priest that is passed into or through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession or our confession. Now, it's talking about what Jesus did with his blood. Kind of like what happened from the cross to when Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. What happened from the cross to the throne? Well, it says he passed through the heavens. First of all, every New Testament, literally every author of the Bible except for one, is Jewish. And that's Luke, who was a proselyte to Judaism. Right? So the Bible is written to Jewish people. So we have to think like a Jew to understand some of the Bible. And in the Jew's mind, there's three heavens. Right? The first one you and I just call the atmosphere. Birds are flying around. That's a heaven. The second heaven is what we would call outer space. The Bible says the heavens, plural, Declare the glory of God. So on a clear night and you step outside, 
and you look up there and you see the Milky Way, uh, that's declaring God's glory. In fact, the more you know about it, the more glory of God is revealing. How big, how awesome, how powerful God is. The heavens, right? So the second heaven in a Jew's mind is what you and I would refer to as outer space. But the third heaven is a place. It's where God lives. Second Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul wrote, and he said, I know a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. How such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I saw and I heard things that it's not even lawful for me to talk about. The third heaven is where God lives. He went up there. Now, it says Jesus passed through the heavens. So he went through the atmosphere. He went through outer space. And he came to the place where God lives. Right? And let me just take this a little off to the side so that we get a clear understanding. Hebrews 9 Verse 12 says, he, Jesus, went once into the holy of holies of heaven. Now, Moses goes up on the mountain, meets with God. God says, make a tabernacle exactly the way I tell you. Now, it's a copy. That's why it had to be exact as he was told. It's a copy of the tabernacle God has in heaven. So he went once for all, Jesus, into the holy of holies of heaven. Not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves, but which to make reconciliation between God and man. So the priest in the Old Testament would go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God said his presence would be. And he would sprinkle the blood on the Day of Atonement once a year. And he could never go in there without blood. And he would sprinkle it on that mercy seat and obtain a covering people's sins for another year. But the next year he had to go back and the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year because the blood of bulls and calves could not take away sin, right? It was just a reminder. Someday the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world is going to come and his blood is not going to cover sin. His blood is going to take away sin. All right. So he, Jesus went once for all into the holy of holies of heaven, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood, his own blood, having found and secured a complete redemption and an everlasting release. So the result, Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brother, having boldness to enter into the holiest, into the place where God's presence is by the blood of Jesus. The Old Testament priest, he went in with fear and trembling only once a year and with blood. Tradition said they put a rope around his ankle because if he did anything not right, he dropped dead. No volunteers to go get him, right? But because of Jesus' blood, you can go in into God's presence boldly because his blood has made the way into the holiest of holies. So Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then fearlessly, confidently, boldly draw near to the throne of grace 
the throne of God's unmerited favor for us sinners. That's the throne of that mercy seat in heaven that we may receive mercy for our failures. How many ever blew it? There's mercy for that because the blood is on the mercy seat, right? And find grace to help. Now, grace to help. So mercy has to do with yesterday. It has to do with the past. But grace has to do with today, right? So there's not just mercy for where you blew it, and I blew it. But there is grace, supernatural ability for today. And we can find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when we need it. Now, notice it says that there's not just mercy to take away your past, but there's something for you today. By the blood of Jesus, there is grace, right? And, and there is help, supernatural help, all right? For what? Well, what do you need? Yes, spiritual problems, there's supernatural help. But it says it's for every need, right? So you need deliverance from addiction. You need deliverance from depression, from guilt. You need physical healing. You need a financial need. You've got needs in your family, with your marriage, with your kids. All of it is covered. In fact, there are no needs that are not covered. No special needs, nothing that's not covered. There is appropriate help, well-timed help coming for every need. So it's, the blood is not just about yesterday. The blood is to empower us today. All right. Now, one more thought before we get to the clinic. I got a, an introduction and then... I hope a short message. All right. Hebrews 13, verse 20 says, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, right? Through the blood of the everlasting, the Old Testament has passed away. You are not made right with God by obeying rules in the Old Testament. In fact, Romans 3 in verse 20 says that no one has ever been made right with God by obeying the Old Testament, by rules and regulations. How many of you know it, no one is no one? Some of your translations say by the works of the law. But yet that's how most people think they're going to be right with God. I'm going to not do this and not do this. And I'm going to do this and do this. The Bible says you will never be made right with God that way. Never. How many people have been made right with God that way? Nobody. Not Mother Teresa. Not Billy Graham. No saint. Nobody has ever been made right with God that way. The only way you're made right with God is through the blood, right? And now notice it's the blood of the everlasting covenant, right? So that blood, that covenant, let me say it this way, that blood will never lose its power. Never lose its power. And that blood is going to be the covenant of our relationship with God throughout all of eternity, right? Now, notice it says that, that the blood of the everlasting covenant to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. So the blood of Jesus does not just supply mercy for yesterday. The blood of Jesus provides for you to do something today, right? In fact, it's supposed to provide for everything, every need, every need, appropriate help 
well-timed help for every need that we have today. And I think it's interesting. It says, make you perfect for every good work. You know, uh, I talk to people about, hey, I want you to help at church. Ugh, I just don't feel qualified. But the blood will qualify you. The blood will enable you. The blood will give you supernatural ability to do what you could not do on your own. But as we mentioned, it's necessary for the blood to be applied in only you. Now, the blood needs to be applied in heaven, and it has been. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, it says that you have come to the blood of sprinkling, which speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Cain killed Abel, and God said his blood is crying out from the ground, and it says, give me justice, give me vengeance. But Jesus' blood is on the mercy seat in heaven, and his blood is speaking for you. Right? Now listen, Jesus to the sinner is the mediator between God and man. But to the Christian, Jesus is not the meat. Well, he is a mediator, but he is the intercessor. The Bible says for the Christian that he ever lives to make intercession for you. And his blood is on the mercy seat. And Hebrews 12 says it is speaking right now. And his blood says, forgive them, bless them, anoint them, deliver them, use them. His blood is speaking on your behalf and my behalf right now. So the blood has to be applied in heaven. But it has been applied in heaven. But it has to be applied on earth. Uh, in Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel have been in Egypt for 430 years. And God has sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel. There's been nine plagues and, and the, the Egyptians refused to let God's children go. So God said to Moses, tell every family on the 10th day of the month, take a lamb to your house. Keep that lamb till the 14th day of the month. And as the sun is setting, take the lamb and kill the lamb. Now that's the picture of the innocent dying for the guilty. Jesus, the innocent, dying for you and for me. But when the lamb died, they had to collect the blood. And then the Lord said this. He said, stand in front of your house and strike above the door with the blood, with a piece of hyssop, a stick, really, a stick called hyssop, and strike above the door and strike the two sides of the door. And the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. So the people had to apply the blood. And the same thing is true today. The blood has been applied in heaven, but the blood needs to be applied on earth, not just in heaven. Right? So how do we apply the blood? Well, we apply the blood with the hyssop of our tongue. That's how we apply the blood. Right? The Bible says in Psalms 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? You need to say what the blood of Jesus has purchased for you. Revelation 12 in verse 11 says, in they, that's you and me, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Philip's translation says, and they have conquered him, the devil, through the blood of the lamb and the word 
and the word to which they bore witness. In other words, we're saying what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. That's how we overcome. You see, by the blood, you're redeemed. By the blood, we have boldness. By the blood, we have forgiveness. By the blood, we have righteousness. By the blood, we overcome the devil. By the blood, there's healing. Because of the blood, you're blessed. Everything that you and I have in redemption, it's because of the blood. And we've got to speak. David said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Well, what are you saying? Because you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You see, as you testify, you are applying the blood and the blood has to be applied. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. Now, notice how you're going to be accused. It's going to be with words. There's going to be a tongue that accuses you. You realize the devil is called the uh, accuser of the brethren, right? When that devil shows up, you and I, we need to refute what he says. We need to refute it with the word of God and the blood of the lamb. See, we apply the blood. Now, you can apply the blood by speaking what the blood has said, what the blood of Jesus has purchased for you, what the word of God says it's purchased. But there is something that seems like old time Christians were doing that, that we don't hear a lot about today. And that's pleading the blood. Now, Isaiah 43 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I'll not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Let us plead. If you're arrested and you stand before the judge, the judge is going to ask you, how do you plead? Guilty? We're not guilty. You see, we have got a prosecuting attorney, the accuser of the brethren, the devil, and he's going to accuse you. He's going to bring up your past. He's going to remind you of everything that you've done wrong. But what you need to do is not argue with him because you probably did what he says that you did. Did you catch that? You may have done what he said that you did, but you're not guilty. You are not guilty because your sin and the consequences of your sin have been paid for at Calvary. So you need to plead the blood. What the blood of Jesus purchased for you, pleading the blood and faith in the blood should be synonymous. When that accusation comes, it's not, well, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and I did this, and I did this. That doesn't make you right with God. What makes you right with God is the blood. What brought forgiveness, what put your hand back in God's hand, and got you right with God, peace with God, what, what literally eliminated the punishment of your sin is not your good works, it's the blood. It is the blood. All right, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus' blood is in heaven speaking on our behalf. But we've got the, the accuser of the brethren. And there must be a continual application of the blood of Jesus in your life by faith. When the enemy launches an accusation against you, you need to offer a rebuttal. Isaiah says you need to speak up, right? And what should you say? The blood. The blood is the answer. Whether it's a need, whether it has to do with grace or whether it has to do with mercy, has to do with your past or what you need from God today. I have a friend who, uh, he was a pastor's kid. And uh, he didn't get saved right away. He didn't get saved if he was 17 or 18. And so uh, he brought home, he's 17, he's in high school. He brings home a girl to meet his family. And, and he just said it this way. She, he says, she was sassy. Right? He brings her into the house and she's in a short, short miniskirt. And his mama sees her and said, I plead the blood of Jesus. <laughs> I plead the blood of Jesus. He said he'd be going out doing something and she'd go every night. She'd just say, I just plead the blood of Jesus over you. you know? Well, he gets saved and he goes into Bible college. And he comes home after a couple semesters of Bible college and he says, Mama, he says, I just don't see how that blood, pleading the blood of Jesus stuff, where that is in the Bible, I just don't think that works. And she says, just look at yourself. She says, you're in Bible school, aren't you? She says, it's working. It's working. They overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Listen, don't ever bring a knife to a gunfight. And when you're dealing with the devil, it is spiritual warfare, right? And when you come with the blood of Jesus, it's like you're coming with a nuclear bomb because it is the blood that has put your hand back in God's hand. And it is the blood that has remitted your sin so that it is expunged and there is no longer a penalty from God on the sin that was in your life. It's gone. But lastly, the third way you apply the blood is communion. And, and I think that everybody here, you've probably received the elements as you come in. These represent the body and the blood of Jesus, right? Now, if you're at home, I want to encourage you, go find something. You say, I, I don't have any grape juice. Use Coke, whatever, <laughs> Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, my favorite. <laughs> you just need something because this is, this is symbolic. This is just symbolic. You need something that you can use to release your faith, right? Piece of bread, a cracker, anything will work. David Livingston was a missionary explorer in Africa. He disappeared for a long time. And they sent a man named Stanley to find him. Stanley was looking for Livingston and he, he came up against a very, very powerful warring tribe in Africa. And he just couldn't get past. And his uh, interpreter said to him, he said, you need to cut covenant with the chief. And, and, and it was totally foreign to Stanley. So he said, what does that mean? Well, he explained it to him. But one of the things that he said, he said, they're going to cut your wrist and they're going to cut his wrist. They're going to take the blood and they're going to put it in a glass. Right? And then you both are going to drink that blood. 
They said, and then they're going to take something and it would end up being gunpowder and they're going to put it on that incision so that it doesn't totally heal. And anybody that ever sees you will know you're a covenant man. Well, Stanley finally was talked into it because he, he's pursuing Livingston, but he can't get past this tribe. And so he cuts covenant with the chief and they cut their wrists and they put the blood in the glass and they both drink it. And then they take their wrists and they rub them together and they put the gunpowder on the, the cut so that it would always have a scar. And then another part of the ceremony was the exchanging of gifts. And the chief wanted Stanley's goat. Now, Stanley had, had intestinal problems and about the only thing he could keep down was goat milk. And he just had one goat. And the chief said, I want the goat. And Stanley said, I will not give the goat. And the interpreter explained, he says, if you do not give that goat, you're breaking the covenant and they will kill you. They will kill you. So he finally gives the goat. And the chief gives him a spear with like a copper wire going up the side of it. And he thought, oh, this is great. I lost my goat and I get a stick. But what he didn't realize until the next day that any place he went with that stick, everybody bowed down because that stick represented the king's authority and his army. And what he found out was because he had the stick, he could get all the goats he wanted. Now, in Genesis 15, God and Abraham make a covenant. And then I believe it's Genesis chapter 22 that says, and the Lord God tested Abraham. And he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me there. Abraham takes his son, goes to Mount Moriah, makes the altar. He's got the knife. He's ready to kill his son. And God says, stop. He said, I never wanted your son, but I just wanted to know that you were willing to give me your son, your very best. And then Abraham said, Jehovah Jireh. Now we think that just means the Lord will supply. You look it up. Every, every study Bible you can find says in this mountain, it, the sacrifice will be provided because Abraham was willing to give his best, his son. God said, I'm going to give my son. Mount Moriah, that's where Jesus was crucified. Abraham passed the test. He passed the test that he was willing to give God his best. And so God gave Jesus his best. On the same mount, the same place, God gave his son and he shed his blood to reconcile you to God, to redeem you, to forgive you, to acquit you, to expunge your sin so there'd be nothing in between you and God. So Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, says that he took bread. I'd like you to open up those elements and take that bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it 
And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's introducing the new covenant in his blood. So first of all, he says, take my body and eat it. Let's receive it. And in the same manner, he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This represents the blood of Jesus, that you are in covenant with him. And the Bible says that he arose from the dead and he is the surety of the covenant. In other words, he's watching over to make sure that everything his blood purchased is available to you. When you apply that blood, do this in remembrance of me, or in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross with the blood that he shed and purchased your and my redemption. So you may take the symbol of the blood. covenant, which was a picture of the new. When you sinned, you came to the priest and you brought a sacrifice. And what the priest would do, would he would look at the sacrifice. And if the sacrifice was without spot or blemish, then you were received. You were received because of your sacrifice. And the Bible tells us about Jesus that he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world without spot and without blemish. So Hebrews 10 says this in verse 13, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And by that single offering or sacrifice, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. So the blood of Jesus does how much? It does everything. It's not, well, I do this and this and I don't do this and this. It's the blood. It is the blood of Jesus. Now today, whether you're here, whether you're online, if you're not right with God and you're away from God, 
I want to lead you in a prayer. And we are going to apply the blood of Jesus to your heart and to your life. And when we say amen in a moment, you're going to be forgiven. Your sins are going to be remitted. And that blood of Jesus is going to take your hand and put it in God's hand. So if you can, would you take hands with somebody that's next to you? If you feel comfortable doing that, you don't, don't, but if you feel comfortable, take their hand. And again, we're going to pray a prayer right now. And what we're doing in this prayer is we're putting faith in the blood, faith in the blood of Jesus. And when we say amen, if you will pray this prayer from your heart, your hand is going to be in God's hand. Your sin's going to be remitted. It's going to be forgiven. It's going to be gone. So I want you to make these words your own. Just pray this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. Jesus is my king, my Lord. I'm going to live for him. And I'm a part of his kingdom under the blood, forgiven, made right with God today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.